Welcome to The Bid, where we break down what's happening in the markets and explore the forces changing investing. I'm your host, Mary Catherine Later. Since the global financial crisis over a decade ago, finance has changed significantly. With the rise of new technology and fintech, the asset management industry in particular has been turned on its head. So as an asset manager, how does BlackRock innovate and build products that meet investors' needs as they evolve? Patrick Olson, BlackRock's chief product officer, discusses three drivers of change in asset management, technology, the growth of index investing, and sustainability. He shares what it looks like to build a product from start to finish, what separates winners from losers, and how he thinks about building products through innovation. Patrick, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, MC. I'm always super happy to talk about product. Your role as chief product officer, what does it mean to oversee product at an asset manager? Sure. For one thing, it means I never get bored, MC. But seriously, as I think about my career in finance, I've been in commercial banking, I've been in investment banking and asset management. And fundamentally, as a chief product officer, you oversee the product process from start to finish to ensure that what's on the shelf, our product lineup, is relevant to the buyer. It solves a specific need. And hopefully it's differentiated versus your competition. So as a business, we have to be thinking across all asset classes. So fixed income, equities, multi-asset, alternatives, all styles of investing. So active or index and in all geographies. But I think what's interesting is that in a lot of ways, the role of the chief product officer at an asset manager is, is very similar to other industries. You know, I have a few friends that are in similar positions, but different industries to compare notes. And look, I think any organization is ultimately defined by the relevance of its product lineup and its ability to evolve with the changing client needs. You need to ensure that the business is delivering the right suite of products for the right segment at the right time. And how do you think about that process of creating and delivering products? What does that look like from start to finish? I think there's really two important functions. The first is product management. That's really all about product and platform strategy. So our product management needs to be forward-looking. It's trying to anticipate what clients will want or need and then filling that need or, importantly, incubating product to fill the need in the future. The second big piece is product development. And this is where you take that strategic concept and you make them actionable. You bring it to market or you kill the idea because we don't think it's going to work. But we work really closely with our clients to understand market demand, product design, where to price the product, and where to sell, where we sell into retail and wealth channels. We work hard on the narrative that we wrap around the product to support the marketing efforts. So this is a bit of a simplification, but these are the most significant responsibilities of the chief product officer at an asset manager and frankly, a lot of other companies. You mentioned that you're working with clients to better understand what to bring to market. How do you anticipate what might work versus what doesn't? Yeah, it's a great question. I think first, you've got two different big sets of clients. You've got the retail and wealth side, and then you've got the institutional side. I think on the institutional side, it's a little bit easier because you're so in touch with a CIO across the table that you're able to design a solution over time. And it's a robust conversation going back and forth. I think on the retail and wealth side, it's a little bit different. And here's where we think a lot about the incubation concept. So we don't know what's going to be in demand three years from now. They don't know what's going to be in demand three years from now. And I think we have to take some bets 
we have to put some products out there that we don't commercialize for the first couple of years, obviously. We let them bake. We let them develop a performance track record. And then if the market comes to us, we're ready to go. We've had a product that was incubating for three years and we were close to pulling the product and just shutting it down because it wasn't commercializing. It hadn't gained any traction from an asset raising perspective, but it had phenomenal performance. And in one of the product executive meetings, we had a long discussion about what to do with it. The investors convinced the management team that this was a product that was going to be successful. The market was going to come to us. And it did. Over the course of the last year, that product raised close to $3 billion in assets. So it's been a huge success in the U.S. And now we're just going to wrap it to make it available to Europe and Asia. When you don't know, you've got to have some things that are just out there baking. And when the market hits, when the stars align, you can run with it. So you mentioned in that example, the management team believed this was a product that was going to be successful. What makes a winning product versus one that just isn't working? Yeah, I I love that question. And nothing like getting right to the point, MC. It's both the investment performance and the commercial success. So in most cases, you don't know if you have the winner when a product is launched. Because if you think about it, for a product to win, it needs to perform. Did the product do what it was intended to do over an investment cycle? And in many cases, you won't know that immediately. But if you take a step back for a minute, I think it's less about whether an individual product is a winner. There are a lot of examples where a product performs for a while or is meeting the immediate market need, and then it doesn't. So you need to think about delivering a platform, not just an individual product. And in some ways, it's like creating a network effect in other industries. The more useful your platform becomes, the more users you attract. And breadth and asset management is becoming more than just investment offerings. It's becoming being able to provide a total solution. It's being able to provide the technology that goes along with the investment product. Because sometimes a client wants a single product, which is a building block for a portfolio they're constructing. Or they might want the whole solution, which can be a model portfolio or a custom portfolio built just for their needs. Or they want a combination of the investment products and the technology to manage their assets or understand their risk. But the point is, the more capabilities you bring to the table and the more solutions that you can provide, the higher your chance of winning at scale in creating that network effect. So on that note, the asset management industry has changed a lot over the past few decades. And you alluded to this in the context of your career different parts of financial markets over that time. We've seen a shift for, towards index investing, of course, and the growth of sustainability, which you mentioned, the democratization of investing, the people beyond really sophisticated institutions. So what are some of the defining moments in time that disrupted the industry in your mind? And what do you think product differentiation means today? Well, I think, MC, you identified some of the most important moments of disruption in the industry. If you just take a step back, asset management developed around a really simple concept, which was to give investors a cost-efficient way to access a bundle of securities rather than trying to pick and manage individual securities. That's the mutual fund. And for a long time, asset management really didn't change that much. And I would say over the course of the last 15 to 20 years, there's been a significant change that's transformed the industry faster than ever. And there's probably a couple of drivers. The first is technology. 
And I know every company in every industry identifies technology as the key enabler of change and innovation. And that's certainly true in asset management. But you simply could not manage the size of the assets or gather and analyze the data for investment decisions or importantly, create the seamless client experience without massive investments in technology. This is only going to get more acute, right? The mom and pop or the end consumer, they want to consume an investment product as easily as they consume something they buy from Amazon or Alibaba or Apple. You know, it's instantaneous, it's frictionless. The second big change would be this monumental growth in index investing. I looked at a stat recently and over the past 10 years, flows into index funds were close to 4 trillion US dollars. That's while active funds declined by almost 200 billion. And many of the trends that are driving that shift aren't going away. The focus on cost and aging population that's investing in things like target date funds, which are largely index, and the simplicity of using an index product to build a portfolio. This certainly doesn't mean that active management goes away. I think active will share the portfolio with index as investors use both, frankly to express a tactical or a strategic allocation decision. And then last is sustainable investing. And sustainable investing is an amazing signal on the part of organizations and individuals that investing isn't about financial performance only. People want to know how you're investing. Are you taking the environment into consideration, social issues into consideration, and company governance, frankly, into consideration? And they also want to know what you're going to invest in. Is the investment having a particular impact? You know, I've had clients in Europe tell me that measuring a product in their ESG score is going to be more important than the financial performance of the product. So that may be a minority view globally today, but I think as wealth transfers to the next generation and the public puts more scrutiny on the managers of capital, there is no question that sustainable investing will heavily influence how we think about our product process. Let's focus on each of these a little bit. So you talked about the growth of technology in financial services generally, and certainly the global financial crisis catalyzed the emergence of fintech firms that focused on building positive consumer-friendly brands when consumers were less favorably inclined toward large financial services institutions. For example, this crisis has accelerated adoption of technology in new ways because we're working digitally So how do you think technology exactly will continue to play a role in the transformation of the industry? Yeah, and I agree with you. I think technology is going to be probably the single biggest catalyst for change in our industry or in the asset management industry, full stop. I focus on something that we call the mass customization at scale of accounts. I mean, how the industry moves to customizing the investment solution for individual investors. So today they can create a portfolio, but that portfolio can be tailored as close as possible to what that investor might need, but not perfect, right? It doesn't take into lots of considerations, tax being a big one, well enough. So similar to how asset managers customize investment solutions for large institutions today, I think you're going to see that move to the individual investor over time because technology will allow you to do it. And the second is, I think, the use of technology to create just differentiated investment opportunities or differentiated platforms. 
And then I think for portfolio managers, the ability to harness and analyze data will continue to unearth information that can be used in the investment process. The mining of this data just continues to get better, faster, and cheaper. And if I could add one more, I would say it would be around the client experience. I'm just a huge believer that you can create differentiation in the client experience. So those are some of the areas where I think technology is going to have a big impact. And remember, I'm just referring to the investment side now. There's going to be similar transformation, I think, on the distribution end. You also mentioned, just shifting again to one of the other themes you talked about, you mentioned growing investor preference for sustainability. And some of the demand for sustainability is actually around client experience as well in the wealth context as investors' preferences change. We've talked a lot about sustainability on the podcast. So what are some of the unmet needs that you see and how do you think about crafting products to meet them? Well, MC, in some ways, the needs are insatiable right now because we're just so early in the development. I think it's going to become normal for a portfolio manager to be able to model how climate risk will impact an industry sector, a company, and that company's public securities. To get there, there will be significant technology and data needs that will help drive better and more differentiated product. We recently surveyed clients around the world so that we could understand what they were struggling with and where innovation can help drive sustainability adoption. We touched 425 investors in 27 countries who control 25 trillion in assets under management. First, sustainability is here to stay, right? These institutions plan to double their sustainable allocations. So that's their assets under management in the next five years. And how they will do it will vary, meaning they'll use screen products in some cases. They'll have deeper integration into the investment process in other cases. We saw big regional differences. I live in London. And while sustainability is the new normal in EMEA, Asia Pacific, the Americas are in the earlier stages of adoption. So there's a huge data challenge. And that came out loud and clear, something that I know you're an expert on. Over half the clients we spoke to said that poor quality or poor availability of ESG data and a lack of analytics were the biggest barriers to them adopting sustainable more aggressively. And this was true across all regions. I think interestingly, but not surprisingly, when we asked clients what was the most important to them in terms of E, S, or G, so is the environment, is it social, is it corporate governance, 88% chose environment as the top priority. So if that doesn't speak to the urgency around climate change, I don't know what will. But this is certainly one area in particular where we expect more linkage between product and things like the Sustainable Development Goals or the Paris Accord. So you think two-degree aligned product as an example. And the last was from the survey, which is regulation. In Europe, almost half of the clients, I think it was, told us that they're being driven by regulations which mandate consideration of ESG risk. So this will likely become more the norm, just like consumer protection. You'll see more environmental protection. And just as a note to show the disparity between the regions, Goldman put out some research that showed as of December of 2019, there were over 300 standalone ESG regulations in EMEA compared to roughly 79 or 80 in Asia and around 20 in North America. 
So you can see just by that regulation how the different regions are developing. And that will influence how we think about product regionally as well. Patrick, one last question. You've shared a lot of future-oriented thoughts this morning. And I'm curious, as we head into 2021, what do you think is the most important thing for investors to pay attention to in the new year? The most important thing. Can I give you a couple? Is that okay? Sure. I mean, admittedly, going into 2020, the view expressed on this podcast was that we were not going to have any market crisis, any recession, certainly not public health crisis. So we're not going to hold you to it, Patrick, whatever you say. All right. Well, I think the risks from the pandemic will be managed, but they won't be extinguished. And I think it'll be important to identify long-term beneficiaries, which is like, who's going to win? But importantly, I think you'll also have to know who's going to be permanently harmed. It's periods like this that just creates that dispersion across and within industries. We talked a lot about sustainable. So I think sustainable is just going to have a banner year for all the reasons we discussed. One thing we didn't talk about, and I think this is going to become bigger and bigger, is China is going to become more and more accessible to investors. There'll be more products available as the underlying investment ecosystem in China continues to develop and the size of that economy grows. And then maybe last, I think you should expect that alternative investments or private market investing is going to become more accessible to the individual investor. Institutions have been continuing to increase allocations to private markets, you know, to find higher yields in fixed income or better alpha opportunities in equities. But these investments have been hard to access for individuals. So Rob Capito, who's the president of BlackRock, coined the term making alternatives less alternative for the individual investor. And one way to do that is just by design, by combining public and private investments in one wrapper that's easily understood and accessible for the individual investor. And I think you're going to see more of this type of development happen. Well, thanks so much, Patrick. You've given us a lot to think about, and it's been an absolute pleasure having you. Well, invite me back, MC. We will. We will. This material is for informational purposes and is prepared by BlackRock, is not intended to be relied upon as a forecast, research, or investment advice, and is not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. The opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and are subject to change. The information and opinions contained in this material are derived from proprietary and non-proprietary sources deemed by BlackRock to be reliable and are not guaranteed as to accuracy or completeness. This material may contain forward-looking information that is not purely historical in nature. There is no guarantee that any forecast made will come to pass. Reliance upon information in this material is at the sole discretion of the listener. Past performance is not indicative of current or future results. This information provided is neither tax nor legal advice, and investors should consult with their own advisors before making investment decisions. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, and you may not get back the amount invested. In the U.S. and Canada, this material is intended for public distribution. In the U.K., this is issued by BlackRock Investment Management UK Limited, authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority, registered office 12 Throgmorton Avenue, London, EC2N 2DL, telephone plus 44020, 7743-3000. Registered in England and Wales, number 
For your protection, telephone calls are usually recorded. BlackRock is a trading name of BlackRock Investment Management UK Limited. In Singapore, this is issued by BlackRock Singapore Limited, co-registration number 2000-10143N. In Hong Kong, this material is issued by BlackRock Asset Management North Asia Limited and has not been reviewed by the Securities and Futures Commission of Hong Kong. In Australia, issued by BlackRock Investment Management Australia Limited, ABN 13-006-165-975-AFSL-230-523. BIMAL. The material provides general information only and does not take into account your individual objectives, financial situation, needs, or circumstances. In Latin America, this material is for educational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice nor an offer or solicitation to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any shares of any fund. No securities regulators in Latin America have confirmed the accuracy of any information contained herein. The provision of investment management and investment advisory services is a regulated activity in Mexico, thus is subject to strict rules. For more information on the investment advisory services offered by BlackRock Mexico, please refer to the Investment Services Guide, available at www.blackrock.com. mx Copyright 2019, BlackRock Inc. All rights reserved. BlackRock is a registered trademark of BlackRock Inc. All other trademarks are those of their respective owners.